0: Hello, what's up? Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today is the quarterly Q&A. We do it every quarter. It's just not like at a specific, not like the first week in each quarter. Just, you know, once a quarter. That's when that's when we do some Q&A stuff. So today we answer some questions. And when I say we, I mean me. I answer the questions. So the questions that we're talking about today are very, are pretty high rock centric. The season just end, ended, and it's uh, some off season talk about how to uh, adjust and identify where you need to spend your time in the off season. Let's talk about some creatine supplementation. Talk about is it uh, can a bodybuilding program work for high rocks? And then some compromised running workouts and some other stuff too. So I appreciate everybody that did submit some questions. We can get to some more down the road. There's some like other really cool ones that I want to get to at some point. So I do appreciate that. And I'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible. But right now, you can listen to these questions get answered. So let's do it. All right, what's going on? Rich Ryan here, quarterly Q&A. Today we have uh, some really good questions, a lot focused around high rocks, some around some supplementation. So I want to just do a deep dive as much as possible on these. So I hope you enjoy this. So here we go. The first question, we had a couple of questions that were pretty similar. And first, thank you so much for everybody who participated. If you missed this, uh, you can catch it on Instagram every now and then I will pop up some uh, prompts to enter some questions to be read on the podcast. I'll try to get back to everybody who did get Get back to me, but we had some good questions. Just some good, like race brain kind of questions, too, that were more opinion stuff. So I'm going to leave that for actual race brain itself. But this, we're talking about straight up racing and training content. So, our first question we had two that was pretty similar from Matt Armstrong and Nathan Ritchie. Basically, how to evaluate your and strengths and weaknesses for uh planning a high rocks training program and also you know what to kind of focus on during the off season for high rock. so this is a great time to be thinking about these type of of nuances when preparing for your next season so what's actually nice about high rocks is that they do give you a straight up season so it went from the fall into the spring and so they give you basically the full summer months just to kind of re- recoup uh, and you can kind of pick things back up so races aren't starting again until october in the states and i believe right around that time overseas as well so now is a good time to really kind of take a look at it as we're, as we're right at the end of may here so the best way to kind of look at this is taking it from the objective standpoint and collecting data from the race performances for you and your competition so it's easy to do this right on the website for Hyrox. It's pretty intuitive. You can just go on there, hit results, I believe, or leaderboard type of thing, I think it is. And then you can just grab all the data for every split that you ran, every station split. And then you can just kind of look at that from, a, you can zoom it out or you can get really narrow in for what exactly you're looking at with those splits. So what I would do, I would take from one or two different races, pull your own data, and then take some data from, direct competitors uh, it's probably best to do it from the same race that you're in so taking people that may have been uh, one or two places below you one or two places above you you could take someone from a different category like looking at some of the elites and just seeing how it all kind of plays out and where you kind of stack up in that field so i would take there and i would plug them into a spreadsheet so i do this on my own from time to time just to really see how things are kind of shaking out and and kind of telling a different story than what I subjectively felt like happened. So and then from there, you can break them into a couple of different categories so that you can know where to spend that time, right? Because if you're just leaking time everywhere, you know, ultimately, it's probably a aerobic capacity and fitness thing in general, especially if things start to kind of tail off toward the end compared to your competition but I like to break them into a couple different categories. It's strength endurance, which would be the sled push and pull, and also the lunges. Machines, ski and row cardio, which is burpee broad jumps, wall balls, and farmer's walk. And then there's running and you can also do also your, your rocks on your transition time as well, to see how you're getting in and out of the stations themselves. Then you can just look at it and see how it compares. So, I'll use myself as an example for the race that was in uh chicago this is 2021 and i plugged in all that i i I took those above categories and compared them to where all of my competition was and it became very clear that the things that i need to work on the most was the strength endurance part which were the sleds where i was anywhere from three to seven minutes slower than the competitors who I felt I was in the same ballpark as, and they really took it to me on that specific group of exercises, which was just the the push pull and the lunges. So right there, that gave me a really direct focus on where I needed to spend my time. And because that is just such a strength oriented station, I was like, okay, now I just need to get stronger. So then I put in this plan in place just to uh, improve my body composition for strength and to improve my overall ability to move weight. So it became pretty clear just on that point where everything else there was like the cardio stations, I was actually faster than most competition, running was about the same, transitions was maybe a little bit slower, but it, it just gave me a really good idea. It's like, okay, if I do want to improve things, this is the lowest hanging fruit and was going to get the biggest bang for my, for my buck. So I would really start there. I would take a look at how you are compared to yourself in race over race. And if there is a consistency with where there is lacking and also taking the competition of your, uh, taking a look at the splits of your competitors, this is really going to be the best place to know where you are kind of stacking up. And again, there's definitely ways to do this, bit. Uh, like kind of subjectively, like if you feel like you lost a bunch of ground, or if like the burpee broad jumps really taxed you heavy, or you that people were like running away from you, then it becomes clear like where you need to spend your time. But really, uh, taking an ob- an objective look is very helpful on this. So when you're looking at the several different things, so for me again, the strength endurance side, the strength endurance side of things, that to me means. If that's like your lacking area, that means you need to add some strength, some muscle uh, or adding some size, right? So having a very heavy strength focus in your off season would be where I would go. So I would do things like hypertrophy style programming, which would be to add muscle. So that's kind of working in that eight to 20 rep area and while eating in a surplus. While doing that, I make sure I'm doing a lot of aerobic work as well. As you start to put on muscle, you need to build the pathways to deliver oxygen to this new muscle. So a lot of times you can see people, it takes them a little bit of time to get fast again once they are putting on muscle, but it it, it can be done concurrently. You just need to do all the things. So as I was doing the strength building, so so what I would recommend for building strength is to do things like fast striders, fast sprints, making sure you are doing speed type of drills, agility drills, so that you aren't going to kind of gain that clunkiness that big runners can have sometimes where it's just a lack of fluidity. You can work on that stuff. And if you're working on it as you're putting on, The size, it it shouldn't be as hard of a road to kind of come back. So a lot of aerobic work and then really fast speed work while doing hypertrophy style work in the gym. So that could be two to three days of essentially bodybuilding style where you are looking to put on mass and eating in a surplus. That's the main thing with this, especially if you're going to be lifting and running. If you just lift at in that hypertrophy area, but you're also running... You're also doing, you know, six to seven hours of aerobic work a week. It's going to be hard to put yourself in enough of a caloric surplus for your body to start to add muscle to your frame. So it's really important to eat. So eat, eat, eat if this needs to be part of your plan and you won't get slower if you are doing all of the other things to make sure it stays tied together. So for if you're the machine work is your area where you're lacking the most, it it basically means you need to spend more time on it or you need to improve your aerobic capacity. I would probably spend time in the off-season working quality work on the rower and ski erg and leaving the running work to a bit more like skill stuff and just easy aerobic things. So doing like threshold work on the ski erg or threshold work on the rower, doing different Metcon gym-based stuff on the rower, spending a lot of time there because there is a there is an element that needs to be built up muscularly with the rower and the skier. And to do that, it's just like running, right? You need to spend time running, to running slow and running longer so that you can build up enough strength and resilience to do the faster stuff. Same thing with the rowers. I would probably do add probably one to two easy aerobic style workouts for the erg and the rower and also probably one one like straight up ski and row workout and one kind of like mixed modality high rocks decafit crossfit style workout in there just to elevate your high-end ability on that on on the machine work themselves the lowest hanging fruit to get better at this is to work on your run on your form. So your form, your is probably not as dialed in as you would like it to be. So taking time to find stuff, find videos on YouTube for the rower, a great resource is dark horse rowing. Uh, they have a lot of really cool tips about how to improve your form and just some easy cues to think about when rowing. And then as you're spending time on that aerobic work, you can really spend time with the with the form that needs to improve, the ski erg is a little bit harder to find good resources on that. I do have a, a video on my YouTube that talks about some ski erg form, and it's a good place to start. So, just making sure you are not just leaking time with bad form because it's really obvious on the rower and ski erg if that's the case. So, spending a lot more time on that rower and also making sure your form is dialed in. If the cardio sections are a struggle for you, that that we're talking about burpee broad jumps, we're talking about farmer's walk. And I put wall balls in this category as well. It seems like a very heavy strength element, but a 20-pound ball, not that heavy. 14-pound ball, not that heavy. It's just a lot of volume, and it's just – is exhausting and where it's placed in the race is what's most difficult about it. But the actual movements themselves, I mean, it's definitely some strength endurance, but like to me, it's mostly a cardio thing. And if any of those three are points where you're falling behind the competition, you need to spend a little bit more time improving your aerobic capacity. And that is just spending time doing longer, slower, easier work and i would spend more time running honestly i think that if those are spots where you're hurting uh doing more slow easy aerobic work is what's going to be most beneficial for the burpees i would also do burpees (laughs) not shying away from doing those make sure you're hitting them uh, as frequently as possible they're real easy to skip because they suck so bad so making sure you are kind of carving out time where you are spending time doing the actual movement A good rule of thumb and something that I've kind of found is that about 90 to 100 burpees will be uh, equivalent to about a mile of work. Like if you were going to do like, you know, a 1500 meter row is equal to about a mile of running. So if you were to do that with the burpees would be about 90 to 100. So even if you had planned to do a six mile run doing two miles and then 100 burpees, two more miles. And 100 burpees like that's an equivalent and that's going to give you the same type of aerobic benefit that you need And you're not hammering these burpees just go easy <laughs> just go slow get them done but just get familiar with the movement because uh there is there is a le- level of specificity that needs to be done here for the actual burpee movement uh, and it's been found that you know your anaerobic anaerobic systems are going to be worked differently based off how specific the movements are, right? So if you get really good at running, doesn't mean you're gonna get really good at burpees, you'll get better because you're still helping move uh, oxygen along and you're and you're helping all of those other type of metrics with like your stroke rate and just your, your ability to pump blood like through running. But to be specific, uh, it's gonna be a little bit more helpful. <laughs> so, so do burpees, I'm sorry to say. Things like farmer's walk, is going to be, uh, I would just look for different ways to improve the actual form itself. Uh, I've worked with some people who said that walking instead of running helps them hold on to the uh, the actual kettlebells for a longer duration and, and improves their overall time. So just playing around with that, I'd spend a little bit of time, not a ton of time doing that, just figuring out how to get better at it during the race. And then wall balls, I would just be a little bit more frequent with those and put putting them in, uh, at the end of your workouts and just making sure those are part of your part of the planning for the entire year, making sure you're you're keeping wall balls in it. But ultimately, if those are the things that are hurting you, you just need to spend more time in the aerobic stuff. Uh running, again, if running is where you're 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 hurting in these races, you'll you'll probably know it even before looking at the actual splits, but doing longer steady state workouts on the while running has, I found has been the best way to improve your running for high rocks. So that might actually be even a little bit more close to race specific. I'm talking like, you know, four to eight mile tempo runs at what would be anywhere between marathon and half marathon pace, something that you could sit at a pace and just kind of go for a long duration. I found have uh, they are the best way to improve your high rocks running and your overall high rocks performance from just a running standpoint. Uh, So you can do this on flats, you can do this on like on hills, on treadmills, you can do this on trails, whatever it is, you can use a steady state and just sit there for a long, long time. In terms of off season, I'd probably build up to that. I'd spend a lot more time improving your ability to handle volume. So a simple way to do that is to improve, is to increase your mileage. 10% every week. So if you ran 20 miles one week, the next week you run 22 miles per week. So just by, and then the next is, you know, whatever, 25 or whatever it would be. So slowly, gradually building things up and making sure that that gets longer each week for, that could be anywhere from three to six weeks before taking some sort of down week and then gradually building that up. So when it comes time to be, to rip those longer steady state tempo runs, you have a good base of training underneath. So if running is an area where you're struggling with, I would increase the volume of running, do nothing. I wouldn't do 200s and 400s and, and, and too much threshold work right away to try to like hammer things so that it gets better sooner. I would take, I would take these 12, 16 weeks to really just get in a longer block of just training and staying on your feet and just going out and enjoying it and going slow, going easy. Maybe once a week you do some sort of little speed work spliced in there, like minute on, minute off. You can do fartlek work, you know, three minutes on, three minutes off, two on, two off, one on, one off, things like that just to kind of keep that speed a little bit present. And then I would just do a lot more and and kind of also going back to what we talked about, the strength endurance, when uh, when you are working on putting on size, doing like shorter, faster sprints and strides, I would also do that if you are struggling on the running itself, like you probably are not as mechanically as efficient as some of the others are doing really short end stuff. So I'd work on opposite sides of the spectrum when it comes to improving your running, doing really slow, long, easy work, and then super fast short uh, bursts of speed so i'm talking like you know 60 to 100 meters as fast as you can resting like two minutes in between just to really get that high-end speed churning because that's something that as adults we don't do that much (laughs) and it can help even though we don't touch it very often in uh high rocks or a decafit event that high-end speed puts like some speed reserves in there helps your efficiency helps your economy just makes you Uh, a better mover, and that's something that you're gonna need with these races that are gonna be 60, 70, 80 minutes long. Also, if the, uh, something along the same lines, like when you get closer into a a race, so like say your A race again is gonna be Worlds in May. So when you're gearing up for your fall competition, you have some time to kind of play around with some different compromise running work. So playing around and figuring out like how well you're running in and out of, your uh, stations would be a good thing to analyze and how your transitions are, like that could be a good indicator of what your rock zone is. Like if that was a place where you're losing like a minute or 90 seconds to your competition, you know, maybe you're not moving in and out of things well enough. Typically, you're gonna be on either side. Like if you're, if your compromised running work or your uh, a term we're talking about now is mod, your maximum available under duress, that's the main thing that we want to consider like if your mod score is low meaning you can't quite access your high end running ability wherever it may be during the race then either your strength is a problem and the stations are taking too much out of you or your running is is an issue and you're kind of falling or you're just like not pacing things very well so if like your compromised work isn't very good or your mod feels bad like it's probably strength <laughs> it's probably strength or aerobic capacity so working on either strength endurance or uh the running piece there yeah and then as it gets closer to the season work in some of that compromised work uh and then just putting all those pieces together so long story short i would evaluate what where you are in terms of your competition and then work on the building blocks to get better at that one specific thing not just trying to mash everything together, like if the sled is like the thing that's killing you, if you're just going to do sled workouts from now until October, like you probably would get a little bit better, but you'd probably be better suited if like you improve your body composition, you improve your overall strength, and then as you mix those together, you'll be able to kind of get that ceiling a bit higher than where it would be so building the building those pieces together but being specific about where to spend that time for you as an athlete all right so this next question is a question about supplementation and uh, my general stance on supplementation is if you are not doing all of the other easy uh like low-hanging fruits type of things on your own then a supplementation is going to matter and what i mean by that is like if your sleep is bad if your diet's bad if your training's inconsistent if uh, yeah, basically just those things. <laughs> if those are the, the three things that you're not taking care of, then the supplements don't really matter at all. However, there are some ones that are going to be a little bit more beneficial and they could kind of, and, and it's good to kind of test around with. So the first question, so this question was from a uh, Robbie Snyder. He asked if, if creatine is a must for someone who's looking to build muscle and endurance. So, there's a little bit of nuance to this and to help kind of understand what creatine is actually doing for us. I just kind of want to take some steps back and and talk about what it actually is and what it, what it does for, for us as athletes. So creatine is something that is found and stored in in the body and it just helps recycle ATP. And ATP is just the the fuel for movement. Anything we do, there's gonna be some sort of reaction where ATP is involved. So, And it, it can be depleted a little bit much quicker when we're doing things like running or lifting. So we do get creatine in our diet. It's mostly through meats, uh, fish, beef, uh, chicken, um, and it's stored in our muscles and much like carbohydrates would be as glucose would be. So this supplementation with creatine, the actual powder, creatine monohydrate typically is what it is. It's the same, it's kind of like carb loading, but for your creatine stores, where when you eat carbohydrates, it is going to store in your muscles as glycogen, and that will be used as you need it. That's basically what uh, the creatine powder is going to do for you. It's just gonna top that storage off because it's really hard to get all the, storage filled through like our typical diet so supplementing with our creatine is going to help top off those stores and with the the storage of creatine there also comes some intracellular fluid and that's a lot of times why, why you're going to hear people say like that creatine is just water weight that will go away once you stop using creatine and and yes i guess this is true uh, to a certain extent but creatine itself is not meant to like meant for your gains. It's not meant to put on size just beyond be by the creatine itself, the way that food would the way that carbohydrates, and that glucose would do it because that actually will store and then it will store as fat after you, you you topped out your your glycogen stores within your muscles and your liver. Creatine won't do that. Creatine is not a macronutrient It is not a, a, a source of energy outside of the muscular cells. So it's not like something that's going to help you gain or lose weight. The way that it will help you gain muscle is that it improves your ability to, to do more work. Uh, just again, same as as glucose. Like if you are topped off in your storage, you go for a long run, you're going to feel good. If you are depleted and you go for a longer run, it's not going to feel that great. and Therefore, you're not going to get as much benefit out of that workout as you would have is if you were properly fueled. That's basically all creatine is doing. So creatine helps you do... Uh, better workouts uh, because of the, the fuel storage that it has. So that's, kind, that's like a very uh, low level explanation as to what, what creatine actually is. And then like the way that it works within our system as an endurance athlete or strength athlete can be a little bit, it, it's not as cut and dry as it might be, especially when we're talking about endurance. For strength athletes, it's pretty, it's just like, it's gonna work, just, it's going to be helpful. But for endurance, like, doesn't it really matter? So I kinda wanna just talk about like how the different systems work here really quick. And so first I want you to imagine what it would be like. Like, So if someone handed you a check, like old school, here, here's a check for you, um, not direct deposit. And there's a couple different ways in which you can then deposit this check like you could walk into a bank deposit the check for free a bit more labor intensive you got to go there you potentially have to deal with another person at the bank Uh, it'll it'll probably take uh, a day or so to show up in your account it's a bit slow it's a bit of a slower process or you could like use your phone you could take a picture of of the check it's usually free it takes again, takes about a day. So if like you need money right now to go buy something for Memorial Day sale that ends today, like the phone might not be your best bet option. Those two first options probably are going to be your best bet. So if you need that money right now, you can walk into like one of those like storefronts that says we cash checks and they'll just give you the money on the spot. You'll have it. You'll be going to that. You'll be going to REI to get that Memorial Day sale. You'll be cleaning up whatever you need, but it comes at a bit of a fee, right? At least you have the money, but it comes at a fee. It's a bit more costly. So the, when you, the cash, your check now place, that is like your ATPC system. It's your fastest, but it's the most costly. And that's generally where creatine is going to be the most effective. It's in that really, really fast Type of system where as an endurance athlete, we have the aerobic and anaerobic system as a way to metabolize ATP. Where your anaerobic system is going to be the next fastest, uh, where you're going to be going at that, like you're just not going to have oxygen present there for you, and so therefore, it's this whole system that we don't need to explain right now, maybe for another podcast where it where you will metabolize the ATP and there's a bit of a, a, a byproduct there. So it's a little bit faster, but still not optimal. And then your aerobic system is like walking to the bank. It's like a little bit slower, it it's it's but it's free and it's easy and it just takes a, a little bit more more time at that slower rate. So the ATPC system is where the creatine phosphates they get stored and then when you have a bunch of that those creatine phosphates available, you kind of lend out the phosphates to the uh, other cellular energy systems, which would be ATP, ADP, and AMP. And ADP and AMP have less phosphates. And once you give them more phosphates from the creatine phosphates, you then can create ATP. That's basically how it works. It's just like a lending uh, from creatine a lending of phosphates from creatine to create ATP, and which can get kind of recycled through. So for distance athletes, the C system isn't something that we're really going to be using that often. And, and these extra phosphates from creatine, they don't necessarily affect our aerobic or anaerobic system in any real discernible way as of yet. Like what the research has shown like that it's just a completely different system and if you need it, it's there. But generally from a endurance athlete perspective, it's hard to tell if it's really going to do anything. So I don't know if it's ne- necessarily. Uh, a must for an endurance athlete to take creatine. There have been some early studies that have shown, like you're uh, in cyclists, it's shown their uh, five minute maximum test to improve uh, with creatine by quite a bit. So like there might be something there on the high end of training where it's just a good way to have everything well-rounded in case you need to call on that for like a fast sprint or if in high rocks you're needing to push that sled or if in OCR you need to pick up a rock or whatever it is there, that that system would be available to you. So to me, it doesn't seem like there is any drawback necessarily to taking creatine as an endurance athlete. Some people might push back and say that there's potential – weight gain and water uh, water retention if you are taking creatine, which like maybe, but there's also an argument that that's going to help your hydration because because there, with creatine, there comes more intercellular fluid. So it, like it could have you be more hydrated and generally things like OCR and high rocks, like you're not going to need every last little bits of like weight off of your body to perform at your highest. It's not like, you know, high level trail running or someone who's doing like a 5K on the track where they might not want to have a single half a pound more. OCR uh, and and hybrid is not really like that. So you're probably better off with having that well-rounded fuel system, all, all all stored up with creatine than to not, just like almost just like, because like, there's no real reason not to. Uh, another thing that has been shown is that your ability to store glycogen while taking creatine is very, is also increased. So I think this has a lot to do with the water weight that it's, that it's bringing into your cells. Like uh, glycogen does the same thing. Like every gram, every, I don't know if it's gram. I think it's gram. Every gram of glycogen that you bring, it brings four grams of water. I don't, Sounds too much, um, but whatever the measurement is, it's it's one to four, so it brings in more water as well. So I think it has a little bit to do with the way that creatine's pulling more fluid into the cells that it helps with uh, your ability to restore your uh, your your glycogen in your muscles. So there's a little bit of a case for that but in terms of the straight up endurance, I don't necessarily think it is a must. I don't think you have to do it, but for a strength athlete as an OCR athlete and as a hybrid athlete, like it wouldn't hurt. There, do, there isn't really any reason to not take it. So especially if, if strength is going to be part of your endeavor. So for hybrid athletes, I would recommend this. I'd probably encourage this, um, especially those who are aging A lot of the athletes who are in the sport and OCR as well, you know, we're beyond the age of 35. and, And that's generally the time where you're going to see some cellular degeneration. And what creatine can help you do is to help get every strength workout kind of like at that maximum capacity for the remaining cells that you do have. So it can help kind of reduce the... Uh, strength loss that you have as you age. So an aging athlete, I think it's an appropriate thing to have there so you can kind of offset the amount of strength loss that you might experience. So for that reason, I think that you should take it. (laughs) And uh, it's very cheap. It's and it's just pretty straightforward. It doesn't taste like anything. You just mix it into your water and something with creatine, because it is like a storage thing is that you want to take it consistently. So it's not like, oh, I took my creatine before my workout. I'm good to go. Like you might not top off the stores. So you want to take it uh, about five, uh, five grams of it a day so that you are continuously topping off your stores again, just the same way that you would eat, you know, however many grams of carbohydrates per day, you want to do the same for uh, your creatine, just take it in the morning. It doesn't taste like anything. It's pretty easy and again, it's cheap. And if you're looking for a supplement, I would only look for ones that just say, that just says creatine monohydrate on it. There doesn't need to be any Uh, anything else special in there, anything that's like dressed up or more expensive than the other one is just straight up marketing. And they're just trying to get a couple more dollars out of you, but based off of like some fancy packaging or some claims that this is like some pre buffered type of creatine that will just get to your system faster. It doesn't matter how fast it gets there. I guess if you're taking like an, uh, an intro workout, Type of creatine drink, maybe that could help, and maybe that's something you can do for an endurance event. Have a little bit of a creat alkaline or whatever uh, in there, whatever they're calling it, or just some creatine in your your powdered uh, your, your powdered supplement as you are doing some sort of event. But I don't necessarily think that's going to matter too much either. Either so, just take the just get the cheapest one. If it says creatine monohydrate, it can be super cheap. Just get that. Um, A lot of times there'll be creatine in pre-workouts and beta alanine in there as well. Beta alanine is also another one that I would recommend, but with the pre-workout, it gets a little wacky because it comes with a ton of caffeine. So you're looking at 200 to 300 milligrams easily in basically any marketed pre-workout. So just like, don't go like, if you like to drink caffeine other than just your pre-workout, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with that either. And it depends on what time of day you're working out too. like, that's just like too much. So. Long story short, again, I said that again, which uh, I'm trying to think of a different way to say that, but short answer is, yeah, take some creatine. (laughs) Take creatine. If you want to improve your strength and endurance, it wouldn't hurt your endurance and it will definitely help your strengths. So next question here, we are going back to Hyrox we have a couple more Hieroxy type questions. I mean, this is a good time, like I said, to talk about Hieroxy, It's on a lot of people's minds, how to get better, right? So what's the best movement to improve the sled push? This is a great question. Uh, I made a video on some different sled push form that you could definitely, that you could take a look at, uh, at, Reinforced Running on YouTube. But when it comes to the actual exercises that are going to help you get better at the sled push, We'll talk about this from two different two different approaches. The first one is just uh, is just being is just being specific, just pushing the sled and pushing it at all different types of intensity and different uh, duration, just to cycle in and out of some muscular endurance, some power, and some brute strength stuff. So you can kind of take the same approach that you would take when doing uh, like a back squat program, where you want to do improve your full on back squat and you go percentage based. So you could test your, let's say 10 meter maximum push, even five meter if you wanna make it super heavy, something you can just like barely move. And that could be then your your marker for, for your push strength. And then from there, you can push the sled. I would do it maybe twice a week and work at different levels of intensity. So say you had a, whatever. You did a five rep, a five meter max. So then you could do uh, four by 12 meter push at, mm, let's say 80% of what that was. And then do that for four to six weeks and then switch it. And then you could do 20 meter pushes at like 50% of that push just to work on the endurance side of things. And then you can come back a little bit uh, on the other way and do uh, six to eight weeks, uh, or I'd probably do less, three to four weeks of some more explosive work where you're pushing it really heavy, but only for like two or three steps. And that way it'll help your maximum amount of uh, explosion, or you could lighten up that sled and push it as fast as you can for say five, for say five to six steps, just maximum speed and then resting. So to the point where you can harness that max speed again. And if it's right now in the offseason, that's what I would probably do for the sled push specifically is to work on kind of cycling a strength progression around the sled the same way that you would for any other of your big lifts because there is a level of specificity with that sled you got to learn how to breathe with it you got to learn where you want to put your arms learn like what your best foot position is so the more frequently you can push the thing honestly is going to be your best bet so outside of actually pushing the sled so the thing with the sled is that it's mostly a concentric motion, right? There's no, the weight is not on top of you. So you're not resisting the weight from from pulling you down. And the eccentric motion of most strength is where you're going to get the most muscle damage. It's like your muscles are, are kind of get like locked in together. And as you are lowering say in a squat or a deadlift, that's where your muscles are trying to f- fight against that breaking apart and like as as you lower the muscle fibers that are kind of connected uh for lack of better terms will pull apart and will create a lot of damage and this muscle damage is what creates that doms that laid onset muscle soreness and what also helps athletes grow back bigger so you can get stronger through improving your uh your your nervous system and helping you like learn how to fire things like that's one way to get stronger another way is to make the tendons in your muscles a little bit stiffer uh, which would be again very specific to the motion movement itself and the concentric work and also volume volume is going to help with that muscle tendon strength but the muscle size is going to be that third component of what's going to make you stronger right and muscle size improves through replenish, like repairing of damaged tissue. So the eccentric work is what's gonna help make you bigger, right, and being a little bit bigger is going to be helpful for the sled push. So because of that, there's going to be probably a, a place where you get to diminishing returns of uh, just pushing that sled over and over without really improving your, your, your global strength through Use of the eccentric, uh, eccentric work, and you're going to get that eccentric work pretty much with any other compound lift. So I would also work in some heavy, and I'd say, and, and and also say you don't have a bat, you don't have a, a sled. So that first one that I laid out is if you have a sled. And if you may, might not want to get any bigger, or if you're already as like you're already as big and strong as you want to be, you just need to be more specific and learn how to move that sled. That's option A. Option B would be if you don't have a sled that's going to be e- like easy to push at your gym, or like if the sled itself isn't on that surface that you need it to be. And we'll talk about some ways to kind of hack around that as well toward the end of this. Is like what you need to do if like you the sled's just too easy. Cause in everybody's gym, the sled is too easy. It is just always is gonna be easier than you think it's gonna be. Unless Hyrox keeps that lighter sled weight like they had for the world championships, then you'd probably be okay. Cause it's not, it wasn't unbelievably crazy, stupid heavy. So if you don't have a sled, or you want to add some muscle size, I would, I think back squats are going to be your best bet or doing heavy split squats. So both of these, your, I would recommend doing the back rack position with a barbell. It's going to be the best way to load up as much weight as possible. Things like walking lunges or, uh, Bulgarian split squats are, are really going to be. helpful. You can do those with a barbell as well. Um, but generally, the lack of balance and the motion that takes place through a walking lunge is going to be a bit of a limiter uh, than what just a regular split squat would be. So a split squat is just like that finishing position, or I guess like the middle position of a lunge and just not moving your foot toward the standing position and then not moving it directly back behind you. You just start that way and you drop straight down and then straight back up. So it's a good way to get that single leg strength involved, and mostly the sled push is going to be more of a like a single single leg strength, right? You're pushing it with both legs, but they're not both at its maximum power. So it's it's a bit of a blend of like kind of what a walking lunge would be like, but since that sled is so heavy, you're going to want to make sure you're be, you're able to overload the weight on your back through the uh, use of split squats and from regular back squats. So there's, and then in terms of, I think uh, this was um, from, this question was from RunTJC on Instagram. He had some questions around the specific amount of reps as well. Like is a 20 rep back squat program better than, you know, five by five. And honestly, I would say that they, like if you were looking to improve your back squat, uh, improve your sled push for a race that's going to be in six weeks with uh, the work that you're going to do within the gym, like maybe doing a 20 rep back squat would be a good bet for you just because it's really going to help increase your muscular endurance. But mostly I look at... a. a squat progression, or any type of strength progression that's going to be that high in reps as more of a hypertrophy plan. So if you're eating in a surplus, it's going to cause a tremendous amount of muscle damage, and it's going to help get you bigger. But also, if you are closer to uh, an event, I think higher reps would be be a more helpful way to improve that sled push in a short amount of time. But for the most part, if you have the off season, I would again cycle it the same way that you would, like how I mentioned about the sled push up, so starting with like a program that's like five three one, and, and working your max strength for four to six weeks, and then maybe working into something that's going to be a little bit higher, like a twenty rep, uh, a twenty rep back squat program, and then going back into something like a three by five or a five by five, and then back down to something that's going to be under under ten reps total working at that higher at 90% and above for all of the reps. This is, I think, the best way to just improve your overall strength and to make sure your strength is there, make sure your power is there, make sure your endurance is there as well. So you can continue to raise that floor of where your strength is. And again, it's going to help you put on a little bit, mu- a little bit of muscle as well. If you're eating for it, uh, then you will be able to put on some, some muscle, which ultimately is going to help the sled push, right? So uh, I, I would say, to get better at the sled push, you got to push the sled. But if you need to get stronger to push a sled, I would do things like back squats, single leg, uh, uh, do split squats, and then doing some accessory work with some Bulgarian split squats or some walking lunges. So I'd probably do, I'd probably squat. Maybe what would look good for this is doing a back squat once a week and then the other week doing a heavy split squat. That might be the best way to improve both of those positions. But a split squat, split squat is also good like uh, accessory work that you could work into your programming as well. So I hope this makes sense. Uh, it was, uh, it seems a little bit straightforward, but yeah, just push the sled. If you need to get bigger, do back squats and, and single leg squats. All right. Oh, and I did mention how to push the sled for uh, how to to like uh, compensate for that. So I've had a hard time at the new gym that I'm at in terms of like the turf that the gym has is just not hard to push the sled, which again, I'm sure a lot of you are figuring out that uh, the high rock sled itself feels much different than your gym sled. So I've found that if pushing it on the rubber mats is extremely difficult and you really only need about four plates of of 445s of on the sled push to make it feel a lot like the high rocks weight and only about three, um, three and a half plates uh, for the sled pull. So that's definitely uh, an area where you can kind of like improve the feeling of what it's going to be in, in training compared to a high rocks event. So pushing it on the mats is definitely a good option for that i would do that over the turf because if sometimes you just gotta like load it up like it's so heavy and it still doesn't feel and then it screws up your position a lot like if it's stacked like higher than your head like that's not how you're gonna be pushing it in an event you gotta worry about that thing like falling over it's just like absurd so just like make it harder if your gym doesn't let you like i think that they should let you it doesn't mess anything up um so try it on, on the mats as well and, like I said, yeah, going going volume for your squats and your lunges, if you're like six to eight weeks out from event, is going to be your best bet. And then really overloading it in like the last like two or three weeks to help with that maximum strength after you have that big volume in there. Cool. All right. So, this next one's another Hyrox question. This is very Hyrox forward. This is appropriate. We're talking about Hyrox stuff today. This one, this question is more, is, is sort of like that first one when we're talking about how to kind of set up your program. So this question came from Ren Karen. It was, uh, can a typical bodybuilding training be combined with serious run work for high rocks? Uh, short answer is like, yes, you can do that for sure. I think that I'm going to be a little bit nitpicky here is, with the terminology, like bodybuilding to me is always going to be hypertrophy work, which is going to be in that eight to 20 rep range again. Uh, And a lot of times, bodybuilding is not a lot of times, all the time bodybuilding is about aesthetic, right. So a lot of the movements that you'll get in a typical bodybuilding workout are going to be ways to make your uh, your delts have better shape and uh, ways to minimize the amount of size you're going to put on in specific areas so that the uh, rate aesthetic ratio falls into place. So there's a lot of movements like that, which to me are basically a waste of time, which are going to be re- working on small, smaller type muscles. Like I said, like doing things like rear delts, like uh, dumbbell ra- like front raises and lateral raises, doing things like, um, stuff like your mid back, your, your lower trap work doing like, hack squats so that you're not worried about getting a thicker waist from doing barbell back squats things like that are just or or the other one i was like is chest flies (laughs) where it's just like just meant to inflict damage on your chest so that it grows back and it looks strong you're able to kind of hit the different parts incline bench press like things like this is like yeah, I, like they could—they're better than like nothing, I guess, but like really less than optimal for training. So I would probably f- swap out bodybuilding for powerlifting and doing like a typical powerlifting training uh, combined with some serious run work. And I think that's probably a better bet. Like if if aesthetics are important to you, still, like I would mix in some some work here or there to to help with that. Like like. Doing arms can be beneficial as long as you're not doing like uh, 10 sets of biceps and triceps. Then you're just wasting time. <laughs> like some bicep work and some tricep work is going to be important, but I think just doing like overhead press and bench press and then doing things like pulls, like uh, uh, pull ups, uh, sled pulls, that's going to be the bicep work that you need. It's going to be a little bit more functional as well. So, I would kind of steer away from any isolation work or any type of work that is just like not going to be that helpful and put mostly compound lifts in there, which is going to be like your squat, your bench, your deadlift, uh, strict press, pull-ups, uh, lunges. Those are the, the workouts that a power lifter would do that would be uh, more, it would get you more bang for your buck. It's going to help you get stronger. It's not necessarily like, and bodybuilding again, it's about putting on muscle, which is like, which can be important. I talked about it in that first part, like you might need to have points where you're doing, you know, three by 12 bench press and three by 10 strict press to help put on muscle on your upper body that's gonna help things like the uh, wall balls or burpee broad jumps or even the sled push and pull. Like these are important things for high rocks, right? But like you can do it with, uh, in less time. That's another thing about like, you, they just want to hit every every single muscle needs to kind of get hit. Or if you're doing, you know, three by five back squat at 80, 85%, like you're going to be working a lot of stuff, but you're just not going to be inflicting as much damage. So it might not be as much uh, muscle gains doing a powerlifting program than a bodybuilding program. And that's why I like that to go toward powerlifting anyway, is that you're not going to necessarily put on extra mass if that's not the goal. If it is your goal, then yeah, head that way. But if it's not the goal, stick with powerlifting, stick with the lower rep ranges, um, and then if like you're at the gym and you're like, oh, I feel like I should do a little bit more stuff, like get on the rower and get on the skier and help and do like your aerobic stuff. And sometimes bodybuilding was like four or five days a week. I think that's honestly too much for high rocks. I think. Uh, I think that's too much lifting and and it's such a a aerobic sport that you need to be spending time on the skier, on the rower, running. Um, So that's another way that a a straight up bodybuilding program can kind of get in the way uh, is that you're doing too much lifting. You're doing too much lifting and doing too much isolation work. And that's just like it's not necessarily bad for high rocks, but it's like a waste of time when you have finite time. If you have all the time in the world, sure. Do some uh face pulls and some, you know, skull crushers, whatever you want to do, uh, if you have unlimited amount of time. But if it starts cutting into that aerobic work, that's that's where you're gonna really be uh, kind of wasting your time. So I would say a bodybuilding, uh, a a not, I would say a bodybuilding program with high, with serious running training could work, but it's less than ideal. I would go uh, like more powerlifting, or even like strongman type of type of stuff would be really helpful for for high rocks. And then making sure you're doing aerobic work six days a week, six days a week of that. So if that's what you mean, then yeah, I think you can do it. But I would, I wouldn't do too much bodybuilding stuff. In in my personal opinion, I don't think that's really gonna that ain't, that ain't gonna do it. Thank God I kind of do it. All right, last question here is from Christina Johnson. This is, "What's my go-to compromised running workout?" And yeah, there's a lot of these different type of workouts that can really. And the, the idea behind a compromised running workout, Ray, is to make sure that it's to improve your ability to run under fatigue, improving that mod. To get your mod scar higher, compromised running workouts can really help that. But ultimately, it's about simulating a feeling that you want to go after, right? So if it is the air, if it's like, say, since we're talking about high rock so much, say you want to improve your burpee bra jumps, you need to simulate that, but you need to get to that fatigue point to simulate the the feeling of the burpee broad jumps, it's not necessarily how well you're gonna run after burpee broad jumps, it's how well you're gonna run after uh, skiing, sled push, sled pull, and then burpee broad jumps. So it's a more of a matter of where things kind of line up in terms of fatigue and in terms of time that I think is really important for this. And this could be uh, uh, helpful when talking about how to improve your carries for, uh, for a Spartan race. Uh, I, there is definitely an, an element of skill and just familiarity with that, but it's more of an element of fatigue, right? So I would say a good compromise running workout for that, would actually be doing a running workout. Say like you're doing a, a workout where it's like every mile you stop and you do 20 burpees and you get up and you run a mile, you're doing it at like tempo pace. You do that for four miles. Then it would kind of work into that, um, into that carry work because you built that fatigue up. And then it's that's what's going to what's going to feel the most like the race is when you're after that four miles of work and say it's a race like Big Bear, where that bucket carries at the very end, you need to you need to carry that fatigue from that entire race into that moment. It's not going to help like you're just running out the door and sprinting with your bucket as fast as, as possible. Like that's just not what it's going to feel like. So when I'm doing my compromise running workouts, I'm really trying to figure out what feeling am I trying to accomplish with this workout. So it can, so it doesn't necessarily need to be that specific. It just needs to really drill down and nail what the what it is you're trying to get after with the workout. So for me personally, I found that these workouts I call High Rocks tempos are just like the best type of workouts for a High Rocks type of event. And what they look like is uh, really straightforward and simple. I take two to three movements that I want to work on. Through for a high rocks event say uh in in the past it's been the i mentioned in the beginning like my strength endurance pieces have been a problem in races so sled push sled pull and lunges so i'll take those three movements and just literally cycle through those for a set amount of time so it's basically an amrap where i'll do 60 to 80 minutes of work where it's running an 800 meters and then doing some chunk of that station so it'll be like 800 meter run and the the pace is like uh not is like slower than race pace right so it kind of is going to feel more like a marathon type pace tempo run like really sustainable really easy and then say doing uh 12 meters of or 25 meter uh sled push then 800 meters 25 meter sled pull 25 uh, 800 meters Then I would do, I don't know, 50 50 meter walking lunges. And then I would just repeat that over and over. And they'll usually get through three or four rounds of that. So by the time I get to that second or third round of lunges, I'm at that fatigue point. By the time I get to the second or third round of the sled push i'm already at the fatigue point same with the sled pull like i'm able to get there without really killing myself and and i'm able to put a lot more volume in on these stations while doing that without going nuts without it being like a high rock simulation every week where it's just like max effort see how you can go like that there is a time and place for that but i think only once or twice in your build-up should you really be doing any type of high rocks um simulation or race because they're so demanding right it's definitely gonna be helpful to to try different tactics for your race to see what's going to pay off but in terms of a fitness builder these high rocks tempos are better they take a a longer amount of time to do and just gives you a longer time to expend like thinking about how to kind of get through these stations and get back to the running so over that course i, I mean i do 10 to 12 different transitions back into running, which is another chance to kind of get back to it and start the run and and see how it feels and see how my heart rate is going to adjust. And then knowing what that's gonna feel like for race day. So right now that's really my go-to compromised uh, running style workout. Um, But yeah, if you're gonna be doing those, just make sure you're attacking the feeling that that you wanna get out of the, the workout itself. So because I'm so high rock specific right now, that's where I'm at. Another thing I really like doing, I really don't like doing, is just doing um, assault bike into running. So one workout that is particularly brutal would be doing um, 30 seconds. It's a descending ladder, 30, 20, um, and 10 uh, seconds on the Assault bike, no, 30, 20, 15 with, uh, no, I'm screwing this whole thing up. So it's 30 seconds of hard work with descending um, rest. So it'd be 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds easy, 30 seconds hard, uh, 20 seconds easy, 30 seconds hard, and 10 seconds easy, and then your last 30 seconds. And then after your final 30 seconds, so it's about two minutes of, Assault bike work, then get off and run a four hundred. <laughs> Just see how that feels. See what it's like to be underwater that bad. So it really is to try to help simulate what that feeling is going to be after the assault bike. Since the assault bike is essentially like the sleds for for high rock, it's like the biggest game changer. It's the assault bike. So doing that, or doing, I found three minute intervals on the assault bike. You can kind of hold that. It should be where you should be able to hold for the entire. 25 calories on uh, an actual deck of fit, right? So in that uh, descending ladder that I mentioned, descending rest ladder that I mentioned before, you should be going up faster than what you you can be doing for the assault bike in the actual event. But because that station, station seven, it's so late, you're not going to be able to access that like really high end work level that you could on um, just doing 30 seconds at a time. So doing three minutes, it's going to put you right at that, that wattage, at that uh, at the um, RPMs that you're going to need uh, that you can hold for the whole high rocks. Uh, I'm sorry, the whole DecaFit station. So doing that and then going into run is another good way to kind of like really nail down that feeling. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys listening to the end. This is our quarterly. Q&A here. We'll come through every single quarter. What is it? So in the next like two or three months, we'll have another Q&A. Make sure you're following reinforced underscore running underscore rich to get involved in the Q&A. If you have uh, any questions, make sure you can hit me up on there. and We can take care of those on this here podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to the Reinforced Running YouTube link down below. It's a great way to kind of get some uh, nuanced looks at some of the... Events like a high rocks or a deck of fit we're, right now we're currently going through each different uh, station in a high rocks event, giving you my main tips, my main uh, takeaways for all that. We just did burpee broad jumps this past week. I probably won't do the rower because there's better resources out there for it, but doing lunges and then also wall walls and uh, might not do farmer's walk either. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know. just grab the things and go. All right, cool. We'll talk to you soon.